Welcome back to Trojan Talk. Man, this is this should be one of our most anticipated episodes of the season, as this is one of the USC's most anticipated games of the season. The Trojans host Oregon this week. We're going to break it all down with Max Brown, our Trojansports.com analyst. Real quick, though, I want to let you all know about our ongoing free trial. And actually, there's about a week left to take advantage of that. The trial runs in until December 6th, but you got to get in soon to take advantage of that, and you'll get all of our premium content through the Pac-12 championship game. That's all of our podcasts, our columns, our daily team coverage, our recruiting coverage, our analysis pieces, etc., etc. Jump in now. It's There's no commitment. There's no risk. There's nothing stopping you. Promo code is FREEUSC. That's FREEUSC at sign up. If you go to the homepage at trojansports.com, you will see a banner advertising the promo. You can just click that and follow that straight in. It's also linked in all of our stories. It really is that simple. Free trial through December 6th, but hop in soon. And you're going to want to be in for all the coverage this weekend of this big game. Without further ado, let me bring in Max Brown, the former USC quarterback, the Trojans analyst this season, our trojansports.com analyst, and you're going to really enjoy his breakdown of this game today. Max, how are you? I'm good, Ryan. Man, yeah, this game is huge. A lot of a lot of implications for both teams and teams outside of the Pac-12. Like, this this is a big one for sure. This will be a fun episode. Yeah, I mean, everyone talks about teams looking ahead to games. I've been looking ahead to this game for like three weeks. I just wanted to get through those Arizona <laughs> and Colorado games and get to this game and have it mean something, and it does. USC comes in 5-3, and 4-1 and one in the Pac-12, still controls its path in the Pac-12 South, but may have no margin for error. Uh, it depends on what happens with Utah and Washington earlier in the day Saturday. But as far as the Trojans are concerned, they got to handle business on their end, and they're hosting number 7-8-ranked Oregon, 7-1, and 5-0. The Ducks' only loss came in their first game, 27-21 to Auburn in a neutral site in Texas. Since then, they've really taken care of business. They've had a dominant defense for much of the season, but in the last two weeks, it's kind of been a different story. Washington pushed them 35-31. Washington State made it 37-35. Close wins for Oregon both weeks. Let's get right into it, Max. First of all, and we're going to go offense, we're going to go defense, break it all down. But overall, do you see this Oregon team as a, as a true national contender? Um, I definitely see them as a tier below the big dogs. So yeah. um, LSU, Alabama, Ohio State. But I'll put Oregon in there with like a Clemson right now. I'll put Oregon in there with a with a Penn State, kind of that next tier. So all it takes is kind of one of those teams to get that fourth spot in the college football playoff if it ended today. And then from there, hey, let's just go play football. So they definitely have a shot for sure. Uh, if you're Oregon, this is a huge game um, because uh, they, they need some quality wins. They, they need to uh, up their resume a little bit and they need to take care of business. So when it does come to maybe if you're a, a Duck fan and you're kind of looking ahead, if, if you are a one-loss Pac-12 champ, a win on the road in the call seems big for them. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I like how you opened it up and said no margin of error for SC. I think that that's one of the first things that sticks out to me is this is an Oregon team that, yes, they're a very good football team, but they also are a team that has 
like no questions. Like they don't have, oh, this is a weakness or, oh, what are we going to do here? Okay, outside of maybe their middle linebacker, Troy Dye, but that's one one person because he's, he's banged up. But outside of that, they're pretty rock solid. And then back to your margin of error point, like they don't turn the ball over and they're great in, in the turnover game defensively in terms of creating them. So to me, I think those that one element, I'm glad you led with that because that sticks out to me because obviously all the SC fans kind of listening, those are some areas that SC struggled with. So when you're talking about playing a very good football team and they execute in those areas, that's going to be a huge factor. First of all, let's just set the stage here. Do you think there's any chance that Utah loses at Washington, which would then give USC the chance to maybe still win the division with two losses? Yeah, I think uh, we saw it firsthand in terms of how hard it is to go up there and play on the road in Seattle. Like, that's going to be a tough game. I will say, if you're Utah, that really – I mean, I remember going on Utah pregame radio – or. Uh, preseason radio shows and they were circ- they've been circling that game forever and so I think everyone in that in that locker room everyone in that fan base is really going to get up for that one versus when you're SC like UW was just part of the gauntlet versus Utah this is their one this is their one kind of big test obviously they lost to SC but in terms of back half of the schedule yeah, yeah. but I think I think there's definitely a chance I mean we saw how capable Washington is they've stubbed their toe a bunch but talent's there Jacob Easton's been been good this year. hasn't necessarily blown the doors off the uh, like blown the doors off things like we thought. But that's gonna be a tough game for for Utah. And there's definitely there's definitely a, a role where SC wins the South if um, if Utah loses. But I don't know. It, it gets dicey if that's if uh, if they don't take care of business this Saturday. Okay, so working off that assumption, this is everything for USC. The, the, this is the biggest game left in their season. This this could be their season. Let's get right into it with – I, I want to start with just the change we've seen in the last two weeks. Okay, Oregon was so dominant for so long. They had five straight games where they allowed seven or less points. And you know, those were against Nevada, Montana, Stanford, Cal, Colorado. Sure, but I mean when you're doing that to anybody over a, a month, five straight weeks, that's mighty impressive. But then the last two weeks, like I mentioned, Washington gets 31 on them, Washington State 35. Have you seen a difference in this Oregon defense the last couple of weeks? I think the difference is just kind of what you alluded to, just the the talent discrepancy amongst the teams that are playing. I mean, we saw Stanford not necessarily the most dynamic in, through the air. I mean, Cal, we all know the struggles they had, and then some lower-level teams. So I think, one, it's just a talent discrepancy. I think, to Oregon's credit, they executed and they didn't play down to their competition or anything like that. Like, no, they beat up on teams they should have beat up on. But yeah, I think you look at both Washington schools, and to me, it was kind of like, okay, Oregon's defense was getting a lot of headlines. Like, oh, this is a top national bunch. And then they kind of came back down to earth of like, all right, now when they face two solid offenses, I think they're a good group, but I don't think they're a groundbreaking group or anything like that. Their offense probably worries me more but with that said I think they they have the guys to go out there and make plays I don't think I, I think every team that lines up against uh, USC in terms of their receiving core there's going to be mismatches but that drop isn't as big against Oregon like they have guys they have athletes they have the ability to make plays but to me it's just the, the talent the talent drop and who they're playing uh, was that was the thing that stuck out to me but I think they're still executing still creating turnovers still doing good things but the the Washington State game I made sure to stay up late for that one uh, that was a packed twelve after dark when I was in the East Coast time. Stayed up for that one, and Washington State moved the ball. So if you're an SC fan and trying to get some some juice going before the game, watch that game if you haven't already. 
that Anthony Gordon picked picked him apart at, at times in that game. And so there's there's definitely plays to be made. Yeah, and we're coming off a game where where USC actually looked a little bit more like an air raid last week. So I wonder if the Washington State model is going to play influential role in USC's game playing this week. I mean, again, we've seen that that they are very different teams. Even though you know Graham Harrell comes from the Mike Leach tree, uh, I would not draw many comparisons between those offenses to this point this year. But the last game with all the five wide and and stuff. It, do you think that there are things that USC is pulling from that game last week, that Washington State performance, and 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 inputting this week? Without a doubt, yeah. And Ryan, we've kind of talked about like, yes, you don't want, you don't ever want a marquee step hurt, you don't ever want a Vi or Stephen Carr hurt. That that's obviously not good for your team. But I do think it might lend its hand to Graham's creativity, to him kind of getting back to maybe his true air raid roots. When you're forced to go five wide, and you don't have the luxury of having a bruiser back back there does it allow Graham to get more creative do some more things and and for me like <clears throat> last week watching that Colorado game when you put out Drake London there and you're going five wide and still have the buddy uh, the ability to to run the ball effectively with Amon Ra back there doing kind of some different things to me that is so hard as a defensive coordinator when SC is just able to roll out all those weapons that puts a lot of fear in guys and it's different from what you're seeing Washington State sure they're air raid but don't get it twisted. Like Max Borgie's back there, a great running back for Washington State, does some things in the run game and in the pass game. But like he, there's, they still have a running back back there. It's four wide, still with a running back versus SC. If you double down, go five wide with all the weapons they have, like that's got to be intimidating if you're Oregon. Yeah, Oregon's got a good secondary, um, but I don't think anyone can match up with SC. I think that part... That that if if SC gets rolling and gets rhythm and gets some completions and the 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 ability well, what empty kind of does to a defense is if, if if teams get rolling there's a point where it's like there's nothing we can do they just have so many weapons so many so much spacing so many guys that can catch the ball you can't really double it's hard to double a Michael Pittman when you go uh, empty or whatever their strategy is so I think that part of the game to me is if SC is going to win the game that's where they win it obviously is if their receivers and this passing game gets rolling against an Oregon secondary that's good, but not outstanding like some of Oregon's other position groups. Yeah, so, so we've kind of danced around it, but just kind of give us your full assessment of this Oregon defense. Who stands out to you? What stands out to you? And I think you kind of touched on it, but but what's the area of vulnerability you see most with them? Yeah, no. Um, so like you said, they took care of business and dominated teams that were lower the lower level. To their credit, I think uh, at times we've seen – I mean, in college football, teams always kind of maybe play down to their competition, whatever. That was not the case with Oregon. So Oregon's defense was rolling there for a month stretch, kind of mid, uh, mid-September mid to, to, to mid-October. They're 20th in the nation in total defense. So that kind of gets you what, where that kind of gives you a gauge where they're at, only giving up uh, about 15 points a game. Their run defense is stout. Jordan Scott's one of the best defensive tackles in the country. People that have been following rec- recruiting, they have Kayvon Thibodeau on the defensive line that can can get some rushing a little bit there. And then Troy Dye, that's kind of the one I, I, I touched on it briefly in the in the open. Troy Dye, their uh, middle linebacker, he's played a ton of ball for Oregon. He's been there forever. He, he, he's banged up. He sat last week, I believe, to try to rest up for this game uh, with his thumb. So it's a thumb, nothing crazy, but that's the one kind of injury spot they have. He's a great player. And then in the secondary like you said, kind of danced around it. A good group, but not something, to be honest, I, I put Utah over this group and SC absolutely punished Utah. But then again, 
Washington got after SC at, at times, so that, that could be interesting. But the safety, Javon Holland, he's a great player. He has four, interception, four interceptions. And then their corner who, this is always kind of the magic question, how, how teams match up. We've seen some teams, like Colorado last week, had their big, tall, lanky corner, and naturally he kind of went to uh, – to, to Michael Pittman's size, give, side to give him some size and, that, and, and what, what you have there. Versus uh, Oregon's kind of go-to corner is Veron McKinley. He has three interceptions. This group as a whole has 14 interceptions, which uh, leads literally leads the nation. So I guess that's, that's, that's probably the stat I should have led with, is you talk about a team that creates turnovers. I touched on them in the open. They create turnovers. They're great at it. If SC starts turning the ball over in this game, this game's a wrap to me because Oregon gets turnovers and Justin Herbert doesn't turn over the ball. Um, but then uh, I think there's, like I said, there's plays to be made. Oregon's defense has given up plays uh, against Washington State and Washington. So it's not like this is just some groundbreaking group, but it's 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 definitely solid to, to, to very good. I mean, uh, across the board. So I want to go through some stats here. Only, only three teams this season have passed for 200 yards against them. Uh, actually, Montana did it, 234, and then Washington, 289, Washington State, 406. What's your confidence level in Keaton Slovis not turning the ball over, and avoiding that pratfall, as you just mentioned, and kind of building off what he showed last week with his career high, 406, at Colorado? Yeah. Um, I, I think he'll – I don't think he'll play – I think he's bound for for one mistake. I think we saw that right, he had the right. he had he had the one comeback throw against Colorado. Some of those sacks and ball scarcity and the goofy like fumble at the goal line. Like okay, he is still a true freshman. I still love this kid, all the talent in the world. But I think he's he's bound for one, and then that'll be put on the defense of whether they can pick him up. But I, I I feel confident. I just think this this empty formation. I'm super optimistic with. I just think it's. It's unique. It seems realistic with kind of what SC has going on. I think he's seen the, the field clearly. Um, I don't know if it was us, uh, if it was uh, us two that were talking, but I, I, when I watched the film as a fellow quarterback and me, like Keaton has very clear throwing lanes, uh, throwing lanes in a lot of these plays, and it's because yeah. some of these defenses are scared. And, and and I'm not saying he has it easy by any means. Obviously, he's he's doing some big time things. But there is there are plays to be made because I think the mindset of a lot of these defenses is SC has so many athletes they're gonna get theirs to an extent. Let's just try to eliminate the big play, which we've seen team like Utah. That's what kind of killed them, and that's obviously what allowed SC to get the game. So I think Keaton will get completions. I'm confident he's gonna go out there and play well. I, I just think the biggest thing is can he eliminate? Okay, I gave him one mistake. Can he eliminate making that two, three, and four? Because once Oregon gets the ball, they're not turning the ball over, and that, that's going to be a huge factor. Yeah, not to deviate too much from the matchup discussion. We'll get right back to it. But I, while we're on Keaton Slovis, I want to bring up an interesting conversation with Graham Harrell this week. And he was asked what his favorite play was from that Colorado game. And he said, well, obviously the game winner because it won the game. But beyond that, he goes, it was the 19-yard pass to Drake London up the seam. And he had a really interesting perspective on it. He goes – that was a throw that I've been telling Keaton he has to make. Just just give the guy a chance. And Graham felt he had that same play against Notre Dame, and Keaton didn't pull the trigger. At Arizona, yep. late, in the blow, late in the blowout, he did, but it wasn't a pressure spot. And, and so, so Graham was like, you can tell, he, he was genuinely proud. It was, it was like a breakthrough that in a key moment, second and 19, got to have a big play. Keaton sees that same look, and this time – 
fires and goes with it. And and Harold's whole reasoning was that 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 linebacker who's trailing Drake London may be right on him, but he has no vision. He can't turn around. He can't see anything you're doing. So that should be a high percentage throw if it's on the money. And it was right there on the money. And I bring this up to say that it, it seems to me that that's, that's where we're at with Keaton Slovis's progression and development is the nuances and, and adding in a throw maybe he, he didn't make early in the season, but now he's making. Just, just kind of those next level things that, that help push him over the edge. As a former quarterback, is, is, is that kind of the way it goes when you get to a certain point? It's, it's just adding in little pieces to your game to – to build on what you've already done. I love that. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. To me, from, uh, very early, Keaton showed that, okay, in, in terms of cookie-cutter football quarterback reads, he can execute everything. Guys open, goes through his progressions, find the open man, throw the ball. That next step is the seam route on the back of the head of the linebacker, diagnosing that, recognizing cover two. Uh, and so I think you're spot on. I think, to me, as, as a fellow quarterback, it's one thing – to kind of make the completion, sure, but let's backtrack it even more so. I mean, the fact that he even threw the ball as early as he did shows that he has confidence So, I mean, in kind of what he's doing. So, no, I think you're spot on. That That is like the next next level throws we need to see rather than, okay, that last play to Michael Pittman, it's a great throw. It's great, but like that's kind of like where the read points you to. That That's what that's kind of how you would draw it up is, all right, your eyes go here, you come back, open man, throw the ball. Versus with Drake London, it's, Ah, he's pretty covered. Like, if you don't like that, you could go here and then. But no, Keaton say no. I like that. I'm gonna make this throw. I'm gonna make it happen, even though if it's not kind of wide open or not or open, and the ball should go there, he's still making those throws. So I think that point's uh, spot on. Yeah, and, and and again, just the moment in the game that came. If 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 that play goes for nothing, you're looking at third and nineteen with your yep. game and se- and season on the line. So it really speaks to the confidence he now has, and and and, and trusting himself and trusting his receivers in those moments. Okay, so I, I brought up the passing stats for Oregon's D. Just, just to round it out, their rush D is 14th nationally, giving up 101.3 yards per game. Uh, they've they've really shut teams down. The, the only teams that have any success really were Auburn. That's, that was the first game, 206. Cal went for 168 and Washington for 144. I think, we're like you said, we're, we're going to see more of what we saw last week. I, I don't expect a heavy rushing attack this week at all. Do you see any any world in which in which we're wrong on that and, and they, they, they somehow lean more heavily on the ground game? Yeah, the only world I see is if Keaton Christian maybe breaks a couple and so his stat line right. is is more favorable than the actual kind of reality. Yeah, to me, I think SC's walking into this game not only because of depth concerns and all that, but this is a good Oregon run D. I, I would totally anticipate SC going a lot of the, the five wide, the true air raid with then – the sprinkle in the run game rather than it being a, uh, a core principle of the offense. Okay. So let's flip it around to the Oregon offense. And I, you know, I feel like that everyone's been talking about the Oregon defense all season. He, even though Justin Herbert is a projected, you know, high top traffic, it's, it's the defense you kept hearing about all season. Wow. Those defensive stats they are holding teams under seven points a game for that stretch, et cetera, et cetera. But this offense, like you mentioned, you, you said you were more worried about the offense. They've been impressive. They have four games with over 500 yards. They're averaging 36 points per game, and they have playmakers throughout. Before we get into to Herbert and, and, and C.J. Verdell and the, the receivers, overall, talk scheme-wise to me, what stands out to you about Oregon's offense and what makes it so productive? Yeah, so scheme-wise to me, this is, this is one of the most interesting things, semi-perplexing a little bit, and I, I say that only because 
Justin Herbert, uh, top 10 pick, top 5 pick, uh, a lot of people were saying. This offense does not run through him. It runs right. through this running game. The, the, the Oregon, like, that's where they start. They start with the running game, and we'll get into kind of why that, why, uh, why they do that. But if you looked at, okay, Mar- Marcus Mariota about five years ago, he was a top five pick. That offense ran through him. He ran the show. It was his throws, his legs, that, that deal. This time, it's not that anything against Justin Herbert. It's just the way this offense rolls, it doesn't go through him. It goes through, like you said, C.J. Verdell. They have two other backs that get a bunch of carries. It's a good group. So to me, I think if you're walking into this game and you have not seen Oregon play, that to me could not be polar opposite in terms of Oregon under Mar- Marcus Mariota when he was elite and the talk of the town versus versus uh, Herbert now. Uh, with that said, it, it's similar to the defense. They don't have any... Uh, question marks. Mario Cristobal thinks his offensive line is the best in the country. I'll stop there for a sec. The best in the country. That That's kind of the, the standard he's coming in with. They have guys that have played a ton of ball. All these guys, or I know, I mean, three, at least three are going to get big time NFL shots. Um, so this is a great group. They're, they're big and then they're athletic, which I think that's been the advantage uh, SC's had over uh, over teams as their defensive tackles have been big and athletic, and so it's kind of pick your poison. I think Oregon matches up with them fa- uh, fairly well, but yeah, not to get to, to go back on your scheme question. Starts with the run game, and then Herbert just doesn't turn the ball over. So he's when when he's called upon, I mean, he's going to go through his reads, make his plays. He's bound for a, a few big throws a game, but I think he's at like twenty four. Um, let me check my notes. Twenty four or twenty one TDs, no picks. So like they are not making mistakes. Uh, one, and then one, yeah. one pick, one pick, yep. one pick. Yep, yep. 20, 21 TDs, one pick. But yeah, kind of a, a true balanced attack, two-headed monster, running game, and Herbert's arm. Well, let's just work from front to back because Clancy Pendergast also made a big deal about Oregon's offensive line and said it was one of the best that he could re- recall in his time in college football. They have four senior starters from right tackle to left guard. And that left tackle, uh, sophomore Penisul, yep, might might be the best one of the bunch. He's been the Pac-12 Offensive Lineman of the Week three times this year already. He made a couple of the midseason All-American list. What jumps out to you about their line? You touched on it a little bit, but just more in depth. What makes them so so strong up front, and what makes Sewell so so much of a standout on his own right? Yeah, to me, it's the athleticism. So they're big. They're going to go 300 pounds and whatnot, but they, they move. And like when they're pulling and, and they get to the second level, that, that's something the Pac-12 Networks did a good little special on some of the plays that Oregon really got after Washington State. And it's their ability to get to the second level. So when you do have a quicker John Houston out there, they're still able to run with him. And when he's pursuing, they're able to kind of get out there. So that to me is so impressive. Yeah, I mean, like Calvin Throckmorton, their right guard, I actually uh, – grew up playing basketball against him and he was like a really good power forward. So like that kind of gives you the, the, the realm we're, we're talking where uh, there's some athletic guys, Shane Lemieux, he's played there forever. He played, he was playing there when I was there. So same with Throckmorton. I mean, they've been there forever, but I think athleticism across the board is the one thing that sticks out to me in terms of, okay, they're big, but teams have big offensive lines. Sure. But can you pair it with functional athleticism to get outside and really do some different things? That's where this offensive line's dangerous. And Sewell, what makes him such an excellent left tackle? Yeah, similar deal in terms of pairing. He's also, he's pretty nasty. I mean, you turn on the film, like, it's not just a, 
I, I know I'm good. And I'm going to go out there and do it. Like, no, he's he's fiery. He, he's getting out there. I think this whole group, you can tell, like, kind of works cohesively because they know. I mean, they run a they run a uh, little, like, Sports Illustrated cover before the year. Like, that doesn't happen with an offensive line. I think it was Sports Illustrated. It was some magazine cover. That doesn't happen with an offensive line group. So they know kind of targets on them. Uh, Sewell knows kind of he's the young stud. I mean, pretty sure he started the same spot last year as a true freshman. But – I think similar, similar deal. Size, size, athleticism, but then Sewell, he's nasty. And I envision whoever lines up there, kind of whether it is a Hunter Eccles, whether it is a Christian Rector, whatever that end, ends up happening there, that's going to be a tough matchup. It's kind of the identity I think a lot of USC fans would love to have for their offense. Um, they've certainly yeah. gone a different, a different direction now with, with their new style and everything. But, uh, you know, for many years, USC liked to pride itself on its its nasty physical advantage up front. Okay, so let's let's have the Herbert discussion. You mentioned the stats; he's passed for twenty one hundred and four yards, twenty one TDs, one pick. That's highly impressive. And you hit a nail on the head. The start it's it for, for a guy who's projected so high in the draft to not you know be the entire fulcrum of this offense is kind of interesting. But what? Let's let's start with just his overall ability and potential. What makes him a top NFL draft prospect in your eyes? Yeah, I think just the very the, the surface level stuff that you would want. And what I mean by that is he's big, he's athletic. I think people sleep on that fact. He is very athletic, not Marcus Mariota athletic, but he can get out there and run. And he's big. I think I don't know the exact dimensions, but I mean he's like six five. I mean two thirty, two thirty five. I mean he, he he's a big dude. Uh, I think also mechanically wise, like very sound there. The ball jumps out of his hands, um, so that's impressive there. He started when I my last year. I mean, in 2016, he started uh, against us then as a true freshman. So you talk about a guy that was able to handle a lot early on uh, to start for a program like Oregon that early. That's impressive. But then it gets into what I what I've talked about. He doesn't make mistakes, and then he makes some big time throws. I've always been impressed with his ability to kind of throw the over route. He has a good gauge for whether it needs to be on a line, whether it needs to be kind of with some trajectory or somewhere in between. And so he's very smooth. Smooth is a word that really comes out to me in terms of you, you don't see him getting rattled. You don't see his mechanics getting all tinkered. You don't ever see him making a boneheaded mistake or, or something goofy there like we maybe have seen uh we saw with Keaton Slovis some goofiness last week. You're never seeing that with Justin Herbert. And then this has worked against him at times because there's some, there's some people that don't like this element, but he is so even keeled. He is not an emotional guy. He's not going to get super, super fired up with things. He's never going to get down with things. So I think on the road, that could potentially uh, work to his favor because he's just a calm, calm kid. And I say that works against him because some people – would like to see a little bit more fire if we're just calling it uh, calling it how we see it, but I think on the road that trait uh, could 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 help him out if Oregon doesn't maybe doesn't start fast against this SC team. Okay, then his support, supporting cast Verdell has seven hundred and fifty three rushing yards, five touchdowns, but averaging six point seven yards a carry. Has had some really big games. What makes him special in the backfield? He's explosive. Yeah, they have they have three guys. Travis Dye, I believe he's the younger brother of Troy, the linebacker I talked about. And they got Cyrus Habibi as well, who uh, he hurled a guy last week, so he's athletic too. He, he, he made some headlines there. But then Verdell, he's kind of the NFL guy. I know he's a true sophomore, I believe, but looking ahead to the 2021 NFL draft, he's one of those top running backs that are kind of right on the cusp. Obviously, it's way too early, but he's explosive. If you watch that uh, Washington State game, you give him a crease, he's gone. 
I'm trying to think who he reminds me of. He isn't as stout to me as like a Stephen Carr, but he's more he he's way more explosive than like a uh of a Vi, if we're being honest, and then obviously Marquis Steps kind of in his own little category. But in terms of an SC comparison, maybe Ronald Jones esque. Probably Ooh. probably probably not at not as good of a uh, cutter. Like his juke's not as strong. Ro- Rojo's cut was lethal, but he's probably better in the pass game than than with that. I'm just trying to make a similar comparison. I, don't don't make that the headline. I'm just trying to piece together a uh, a USC <laughs> right. com- USC comparison. But you kind of get the, the the mold I'm going in. A- athletic guy, speedster. But it is interesting because they do roll three guys in there, so it's a similar. Similar recipe that SC had in the beginning of the year where you like all the running backs and you might think that one guy should get some over the other, but they're going to use all three. Okay, and then, you know, interestingly, though, this this Oregon team lost one of its top playmakers in tight end Jacob Breland. He's out for the season, had 405 receiving yards, six touchdowns. How have you seen that affect the offense, and what has that done to kind of the rest of the uh, the passing game and and Herbert's targets? Yeah, it hasn't changed it as much. I, I remember uh, I did a segment with the network kind of right after Breland went down, and I thought it was going to have a bigger impact than it was. I think when Breland was there, they knew how dynamic he was, and they drew stuff up for him. And then now it's just kind of, hey, we're just going to move on to maybe the, the, the bigger picture of our receivers. But I think this is just a good receiving group. I don't think it's – I'm trying to think how it stacks up. It's probably – it's no LaVisca Chenault, so I would say it's it's a step down, uh, a slight step down from like where Colorado's at, but they have Jalen Reed, they have Johnny Johnson, they have Maca- uh, Micah Pittman, obviously uh, Mike Pittman's uh, younger brother, and so I think they've been able to fill in solid there. None of these guys to me are groundbreaking where you have to change your game plan or anything like that, but I think they have recovered well because Breland was a huge part of their offense early, a t- very athletic tight end, big guy, young guy. They were able to do some different things with him. It was an interesting matchup for uh, for them early on. But as of late, I, I think they've uh, they've replaced him well. So with all that said, what is your biggest concern if you are Clancy Pendergast this week and you're scheming against this offense? Getting pressure on Herbert, I think. I think – I see a world where SC is pretty stout against the run. I know I give a lot of credit to their offensive line, but I, I could see SC uh, mixing th- some things up. I think I have a ton of confidence in like Jay Tufele, Marlon Tupelo. I mean, you talk about an NFL matchup. Look at that interior line games. SC's defensive line versus Oregon's interior offensive line. Uh, that's going to be a fun matchup to watch. But I think SC can hold their own from there. My worry is if SC worry so much about the run game, and rightfully so, got to stop the run for, for f- fundamental defense, but then they get maybe exhausted, they're not able to get home on the quarterback. I think that, to me, was one of the biggest differences we saw in an Arizona game versus a Colorado game, is, S- is Clancy still going to bring a bunch of pressure? They got home versus Arizona, Colorado was able to pick it up, and they did not get home against Colorado. So to me, those are two totally different animals, and the other an- different animal is it's different playing Steven Montez versus Justin Herbert. You give Herbert time, that's what concerns me the most. So I think this pass rush, and we'll see kind of where a Christian Rector's at. How does that work? I think it sounds like SC is going to get more depth back in this game, which is obviously a plus. 
but that pass rush is, is the one thing that probably concerns me the most if you're Clancy, but that's why Clancy gets put, paid paid the big yeah. bucks. I mean, to dial up pressures, and, he, and we've seen it. I've been impressed at times to dial up pressures that catches the opposing offense off guard, and he's able to get a corner free or get a safety free off a of blitz, and it's you can have all the talent in the world as an offensive line, but if you get out-schemed, I don't care who you are. That's, that's where SC can win. Well, you mentioned that Christian Rector is back this week. He's practiced all week. He he sat out the last two games to really just shut down that ankle and try and get it as close to 100% as possible. Obviously, that ankle injury dates back to week two against Stanford. You know, he, he missed the BYU game, tried to play through it, hoped the bye week was going to help, struggled against Notre Dame. The coaching staff came to him and said, let's just – you know, rest this thing for a few more weeks. He made it clear, though, that that the plan was to get him ready for this game. And so he says he's 100%, though he also said similar things earlier in the season when he clearly wasn't. So we don't know what to expect. But if he is close to full strength, that that certainly helps in this matchup. And then all, the, the, the bigger surprise, though, was um, Paliye Natiote returned to practice Wednesday. And it's a surprise because on Tuesday, he was with the injured guys. He was not practicing. And we talked to Clay Helton that day. I, I asked Clay, I said, are, are there any, any guys you're hopeful for or optimistic they could return? And he was like, ah, I don't know. It's, it's day to day. So he didn't even hint at the possibility of, of EA being that close. And then we come out Wednesday at practice, and he's out there you know, going through a full allotment of stuff. Again, Clancy Pendergast will never, ever, ever, ever give us any insight into injuries. It's it's the weekly dance I, I have with him every Wednesday where I ask him about ex-injured player. He says it's too early to tell. I try and ask a clever follow-up, and he says it's too early to tell, and I walk away. So it's it's the same game every week, and that's what I got this Wednesday. But then we talked to EA, and, and he made it clear. He goes, I'm coming back. I, I, I feel full go. And that's a big boost. I mean, we we raved about Kanai Malga's uh, first fill-in start against Arizona. I didn't think he had the same impact against Colorado. In fact, I, I thought he struggled against the pass. That they, they kind of targeted him on some pass routes over the middle where he kind of got lost. Uh, I just overall didn't think he was the same impact. So I, I think it's good to have EA back. Maybe he can't play a full lot of snaps, but however you can mix and match him in there. And as we've seen, he's a guy – who they can use off the edge to kind of knife into that backfield and make some of those those key uh, game-changing plays behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah, to me, I keep getting hung up on your point of, uh, like, he wasn't there Tuesday, but it's there uh, Wednesday. That's really weird. I'm trying to, like, the player in me, I'm trying to figure out a scenario because Tuesday's the most important practice. You'd think that if you were going to go, he would at least get some action, even if it was just a couple plays some action just to get acclimated to the game plan, especially because he's a guy where this SC defense has changed their game plan because of him, allowed him to do some more kind of less thinking stuff, less traditional will linebacker stuff, more blitzing packages, just kind of line up and go. So that part's interesting to me. I guess if you are high ankle sprain, sometimes those kind of turn the corner in in a moment's notice kind of thing, and you're just kind of able to tape it up and go. But that one factor, that, that, that's interesting to me. Don't go Tuesday, go Wednesday. Is it maybe a little gamesmanship? I don't really know because I don't think a will linebacker matters that much in terms of gamesmanship. But I think with all these guys, Rector, EA, just adding depth, especially when you talk about facing a good run game, it's going to be huge. My only theory there is that maybe because Tuesday is their only 
quote, full pad practice. They didn't want to take any chances of, of something happening to re-aggravate it, knowing that Wednesday is a lighter practice and there's be, be less risk of, of any way he could possibly twist or roll that ankle. That, that could maybe be a factor in that. Was he uh, was he off to the side, like, just with the – with the injured guys, or was he still like there, like around the guys and like around the game plan and the defense and whatnot? Yeah, well, I mean, again, we we only see the first twenty minutes of practice, so it's oh, a very yeah, limited right. lens. And uh, he he was just off on the sideline during stretching with all the other injured guys, kind of in a row. And it, it was interesting Tuesday though. So after they do stretching and they break up into individual drills, the injured guys go to the main field and and are working with the trainer. And I've never seen Clay Helton. Just stand there and watch the the mash unit, the, the injured guys, while everything else is going on elsewhere. All, all he cared about was staring. He was just had this this fixed gaze at all those injured guys and just seeing how they looked and who was making progress. So maybe he liked what he saw, and and that was the the final domino to say, okay, I think you're ready to go. Who knows though? It's it's tough. When we don't see a lot of practice, but we we did ask EA on on Wednesday. We said, how much did you practice? He said a lot. So we're kind of just kind of trusting what he told us that that he was pretty much full go in that session, and that at least he thinks he's he's ready to go for this game. Yeah, but, I think I think it's big if you can get. I mean, even if it's like 20 snaps out of him, that's, right? That's crucial. Right. That's crucial. I mean, uh, the name that everyone's going to be waiting on is, is Drake Jackson and, and hoping that he can play. Uh, he, he has not been in a boot all week, but he also hasn't been doing anything but working with the trainers. So that could go up to game time. We'll see. Obviously, he's one of the most impactful players on this defense. You'd like to have him out there in any capacity, but we'll have to wait and see on that. Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, it's, it is the second podcast of the week, which yes. means it's time for hot takes. Hot take time. Love it. <laughs> Love it. And, you know, I, this I think This is the highlight people, of my week. A little Halloween hot take. <laughs> Love it. Some people may still have, like, you know, a, a, a burned tongue from last week's hot plates. So I, <laughs> I, 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 I didn't want to overdo it this week. I, I wanted to come in a little more, more mild. But we'll see how hot they are. Okay, I'm going to start. Number one, with Keaton Slovis. Now, I mentioned it earlier in the podcast that only three teams have even passed for 200 yards on this Oregon defense. And only Washington State has gone over 300. They went for 406. My mildest hot take is that Keaton Slovis easily eclipses the 300-yard passing threshold again, building even more momentum in this impressive freshman season and further, you know, kind of position himself for the future. But I think he has another big game, despite what the numbers say about this Oregon defense. Max. Yeah. 300. I I, I like that. I buy that totally. You get up to 350. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. That, that gets, that gets sizzling for sure. I think it's 300. I think it's for two reasons. One, if SC is going to win this game, he's going to have to be great through the air. Exactly. I, I, I just, to me, like it's not even like a the run game is like a non-conversation topic for me. This game, I just don't see that being the, the route to success for SC either way. So I don't even see them kind of having that be a focus part when they bring it to the park. So I think yes, he gets over 300 yards because if SC wins and this is a great game, that means SC's going to have success through the air. He'll get over 300 yards. Or if we're just being honest and this gets a little bit out of hand and SC's playing from behind, that's another way where you could get uh, 300 yards passing. So. I, I buy that, and uh, I don't know if I bet the house on it, but I like that line for sure. 
I'm right in that 300 to 325, 330-ish range, somewhere in there. Okay, number two, we'll stick with the freshman quarterback. I don't think enough is being made about the risks he's taking running the ball. And we saw it last week where he charged in again, full steam ahead. I'm not going down. I'm getting every extra yard. I'm close to the goal line. Takes a big hit. Comes up limping the rest of the game. We never got an official diagnosis on that, but Amon Ross St. Brown did say that he thought it was a knee injury. And Slovis was clearly dealing with it the rest of the game. You saw him pre-snap walking to the line of scrimmage. Just looked like he was in a lot of pain. He's just taken too many chances, and when we know what the QB depth chart is now, and we know that they probably don't want to have to go back to Matt Fink in a big game, maybe the conversation needs to be enforced more emphatically to him that, hey, those extra yards aren't worth it. Your your health's more valuable. you got to go down. Don't take those chances. He also fumbled on that on that run versus Colorado. So that's another factor in all this is that he's exposing himself to hits and also the team to touch turnovers. My hot take is that not enough is being made about this. I like that. Um, here, I'll go uh, I'll, I'll, I'll sell it. I'll, I'll sell it. Here, here, here's where I'm at. I think when you're close to the goal line, if he's going for it, hey, let's, let's, let's bring out the competitor card or whatever you want to do there. Sure, I'm cool with it there. I think the the thing that, that concerns me is more the hits in the pocket, which I would like him to maybe, I mean, in, in those running scenarios, can he just get the ball to the running back or find something else? But in terms of it not getting enough credit or not, not enough attention, I'm cool with where it's at. I also think there's an element of me of if you didn't have a Matt Fink, who I know he, he struggled against Washington, but he if you didn't have a guy that's like he's had success, so it doesn't. Obviously, you want Keaton in there, but there's some teams out there where, hey, the quarterback gets one hit, you are absolutely screwed, no ifs, ands, or buts. I don't have that feeling with SC as much. I think Matt Fink can get in there and make some things happen, so it's not as scary to me. Don't get me wrong. I want Slovis in there. He needs to be healthy, but it's not as scary if, say, it was a Ohio State, and if your quarterback goes down, you are your, your season's blown up kind of thing. So I think it's the tension's right where it needs to be. You want him to slide a little bit, sure, but I don't think it needs to be a whole conversation. I don't know. I like where your head's at, but uh, if he gets in there for six, hey, everyone's all happy. I, I don't mind. I don't mind the little juice. That's fair. I respect it. I think it comes down to, I guess, confidence level of Matt Fink, and 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 I just think that the Washington version of Matt Fink was what I expected from him. And I don't know that USC wants to go there in the second quarter of this Oregon game if if Keaton Slovis decides to push for a first down and, and mangles his knee up. So that's the the point of differentiation on the debate. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, obviously, Slovis, I, I'd want him more than Fink. Uh, but in terms of giving it more attention, I don't know if uh, I'm over that hump. But uh, number three, what you got? Number three, I think the loss of Marquis Step is going to be felt in a big way this game. I think there are going to be several series, several uh, third and threes, third and twos, maybe a fourth and one, where you're just going to really wish you had the big red shirt freshman. We saw it late in the game against Colorado. Quincy Jaunty got two third and ones, but the first one was was by a fingernail, if that. I, I thought it was kind of a favorable spot, to be honest with you. And 
if if those plays go differently, who knows, you know, what happens. And this game where we've already talked about no margin for error, I think every possession is going to be so paramount and huge. I think this this is the game where of any personnel loss, you are going to feel the loss of Marquise Step on Saturday. I buy that. I'm with you. That's a really good call. Um, to me, I'll even double down with you. I think, yes, the third and threes and whatnot, but to me also the red zone. I mean, you talk about a defense yeah. that's like just good across the board for Oregon. I think the the five wide, like I can get all fired up about it, but the reality is it becomes tough when you get to the red zone because those windows shrink, the field shrinks. And I, this is going to be a game where SC's offensive line, I think, needs to just be assignment sound. I don't see the line like really blowing anyone away kind of thing. And so those extra that, – that falling forward by a marquee step, that extra one yard, that punishing a, a linebacker to get those extra three yards, that, that, that's big. So to me, I'm with you there, but I focus more on the red zone. And I think there's going to be some scenarios where, yeah, it's just – the five wide got you down there, but then when you're inside the 20, 25, whatever, and you need some short yardage, you're going to miss marquee step. But I think play calling deems a lot. I think if they can do some creative stuff with the five wide or whatever, however that plays out, that could be interesting. But yeah, running Keenan Christian up the middle or trying to do some inside zone, that scares me, and I buy your point uh, for sure. So like I said, these aren't – straight fire hot, but just a little sprinkling of chili powder this week to get us through. But number four might be the hottest one. It's a, it's a bit of a limb for me. Again, this is not – I'm not going to categorize this as a straight prediction. It's a, just just be mindful of this. Be be aware of the possibility. <laughs> what you got? I, I think we're going to see a surprise – Injury, injured player return to availability on game day. We're not going to know about it Thursday. We're not going to know about it Friday. But come pregame, someone's going to be warming up and testing it and is going to go. And it, it could be one of two people. It could be either Drake Jackson or Stephen Carr. My hot take is that I think that Stephen Carr makes himself available for this game. And He's out with a hamstring injury, missed the last game. Hamstrings are so tough to tell. You can see a guy walking fine to and from practice, which he does, and it may still be a major issue. But I just maybe have gotten some hints through the grapevine that there is some optimism um, that Carr might be able to later in the week get close enough to be to be a go. And we know how much this – coaching staff trust those those veteran rushers and would probably feel more comfortable and confident having him in there even if it's you know as a decoy pass blocking maybe it's not as a decoy maybe he could actually do some things but hot take number four is that we see somebody surprise us and play on saturday and it's probably stephen carr Ooh. okay i I'll, I'll say i buy the first part of that and i'll sell the second part so i i I like this surprise uh, someone gets out there, even if it's just a small role, if it's a, a Drake Jackson in pass rush or whatever, or like, yeah, Stephen Carr on a third down type deal. Um, I think one of those I buy. To me, that Stephen Carr one makes me so nervous. To, to be honest, when he made that cut, I thought he tore his ACL. When, when that, that, that violent cut that he like ended up straining his hamstring – I thought his knee was – I thought he hyperextended it. I thought it was just a typical, like, that's that's a non-contact ACL. That's how I saw that. And so to sure. me having it be a, a strained hamstring, I was like, oh, thank goodness. 
But then now, like those hamstrings, like especially with a guy like Stephen Carr, like they can go from, oh, just rehab for a couple of weeks to super serious in a hurry with one cut, with run one run. So to me, that makes me nervous. I, I don't know if it's him. Obviously, you have a little bit more inside scoop than me, but just as an outsider, kind of former player, whatever, we all know the deals. That hamstring makes me nervous. A, roll, uh, a, a high ankle sprain like a Drake Jackson or a Christian Rector, that's one thing. That's, that's Put some athletic tape, do some, some strength and exercises. Let's try to muscle through the hamstring. That makes me super nervous. But I will say, kind of your overarching theme of, of a surprise guy, I mean, after that Notre Dame game, I mean, you look at – you had Arizona, you had Colorado. You'd like to think, hey – we, we we like our depth. We like our some guys. Let, let's rest for this Oregon game. That was the game people had circled. So if, if there were guys out there, I mean, resting for this game, I would not be surprised if someone's a a Friday. I've seen this before. A Friday workout with with uh, with the tra- the trainers trying to get approved off on the sideline. When everyone else is chilling, there's always that one guy that's really testing it on a Friday. <laughs> I could see someone trying to get clearance. But man, that Stephen Carr one makes me nervous. No, it's, that's why it's a hot take. That's why I had to turn the grill up a little bit on that one. Now, again, I qualified it. That's not a prediction. Don't come back at me next week, everybody, and say, <laughs> you said Stephen Carr was playing. He didn't play. I'm not saying he's playing. I'm just saying I, I, I'm not going to rule it out yet. I wouldn't be surprised if on Saturday, uh, maybe. So that's all I'm saying is is maybe. And I think You're, maybe a lot of people have you just didn't put your boy, uh You didn't put your boy Chris Steele in there. What's, what's status with him? Uh, Steel's good. Steel's good. He, okay. he's, he's he's back full practice. We reported on game day that he test came back negative. It was largely precautionary for him to not play in that Colorado game. I mean, he it, it, he wasn't fully ready for it. But if it had been this Oregon game, it could have been different. But the expectation all along was that he'd be back to practice this week, and he has been. So, no worries there. Okay, so that that was a little hot. That was a little hot, and I, and I may have to. Uh, Swallow some of that heat on Saturday. We'll see. We're gonna we're gonna chill it down just a little bit here again. Number five, the final hot take. I think that and this isn't really hot. This is more getting into leading into the prediction. I think that USC has the ball with a chance to win the game on its final possession. Now, that, I think it's going to be a close game. I think they have every chance to win this game, especially it being in the Coliseum. Uh, it's everything that's that's at stake, and for the season, for Clay Helton, for so much. Just I just feel that it's. I just I just, I just feel this team's going to be ready and can match up with this Oregon team, but I can't make them the favorites. I think that it's going to be a battle all the way. And I think they're at least within striking distance in those final minutes again, and maybe it doesn't work out this time like it did at Colorado, but I think they have that chance. I like it. We, there's, a, there's a reason we're, we're co-host. I, I'm with you. We, <laughs> I, I knew the score prediction was going to come, and I think it's going to be tight as well. To me, I kind of look at it for, for two reasons. I think one, I mean, I, I, as we all do, I love these SC receivers, and I think Keaton's role, and I think Oregon's strong across the board. The one group that I think I'm not like super intimidated with is the Oregon secondary and then I also look at kind of what we opened with. Both Washington schools had success through the air. You bring SC's receivers to the park, Oregon going on the road. I, I really like that matchup. I think 
I mean, you look at that second half, uh, that Washington State game, that's the blueprint. I mean, Anthony Gordon was making good throws, but nothing out of this world. And so to me, that's the blueprint. You bring in SC's receivers, that, that's kind of the next next step. But no, I'm with you. I think, like you said, with everything on the line, I think this is going to be a great football game. Uh, if you're, We can get into score predictions. I still think Oregon wins, to be honest, if I have to be uh, the unbiased reporter. But a chance to win late in the game. Keaton Slovis, this offense... I buy that. I think this is going to be a, a fantastic football game. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna keep the suspense going a little bit longer on the, on the predictions. I want to I want to circle back to one thing. I wanted to ask you, but I didn't, I didn't want to break up the flow of the hot takes. Because once they get sizzling, you just want to ride with it. <laughs> you, you were talking you were talking about guys, you know, working off the side with trainers on Friday, trying to get cleared. What was the the best example of a guy who surprised you by being ready on Saturday after you thought all week this guy's not playing? Oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to come up with someone on the spot, to be honest. Uh, I'm trying to think who. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to go back through some. Like Jordan Simmons was a guy that had like comes to mind. He had some knee issues over the year at, at offensive guard. Um, some linebackers like Lamar Dawson. Yeah, to be honest, I don't know if I can come up with a, a specific name, but just to give fans kind of the, the blueprint, like Friday is usually a really relaxed day, especially at home. You're going to go through some walkthrough. You're going to go – through the John Baxter special teams and whatnot, and you have they have their blueprint of like thirty minutes of kind of going through every scenario, and obviously SC has like two practice fields that's going down on the on the grass field. Um, if, if things haven't changed since I've been there, and then off to the side, uh, there's usually like to the turf. There's like some guys. Uh, oh no, here's a per example, Leonard Williams. Nope, per example, he was just he's in the media all all uh, all week. Leonard Williams, my redshirt sophomore year, I believe. Was a richer freshman. He had high ankle sprains the whole the whole year. So I mean, exactly like Christian Rector. Literally, I would not be surprised if this this happened. High ankle sprain was spat in his ankles the whole uh, the whole year, and he's off to the side with with Ed Orgeron, watching intently, seeing if the big cat can go. The best defensive lineman in the conference, going through like intense kind of uh, defensive line drills, conditioning drills, trying to get him rolling and ready for on a Friday for a Saturday game to try to get his body acclimated because oftentimes those guys they sit out Tuesday they sit out Wednesday they really haven't had real life football so uh Leonard's the perfect example of I mean that was kind of the the test for much of the year is those Friday workouts making sure he's good to go good stuff all right let's predict the score of this game I'll let you go first I got 27 31 uh Oregon um 27 because I think uh, I see – let me make sure my math's right. Yeah, two field goals for SC. I think Chase McGrath gets back on track. Missed his first one last week, I believe. Um, he's been a weapon. We haven't really talked about it, but he's been a weapon all year. Um, he has been, yeah. He's been great. But I, I see SC's offense sputtering at times in the red zone just because of the lack of true run game. So I think that's where I get two field goals. But I just think I, I like I like where SC's at. I like how Keaton Slovis is playing. And so I think it's going to be a good game. But at the end of the day, this Oregon team's a, a very good football team. Just no ifs, ands, or buts. There's a reason they're kind of in that conversation. I think when you when you date back preseason, I was kind of on the Utah train above Oregon kind of preseason when, when, when those were kind of tossed around a little bit. But as the season progresses, the position groups we were not talking about preseason with Oregon have really stepped up. We knew about the quarterback position. We knew about the offensive line. We knew about some intriguing defensive line pieces they've had. But their secondary has stepped up. It's a solid group. I think SC can get after them, but it's definitely a solid, good group. 
and then kind of this linebacking core and the defense as a whole and some of these running backs, they've stepped up even more. So this is a good, very good Oregon team. I think they get it done, but I think it's close late, 27-31 Oregon. We really are almost in lockstep here. And, you know, I go back to my last hot take that USC will have a chance to win the game late. I still have to pick Oregon in this one. I have it at 27-24. So we're kind of envisioning a very similar game here. Again, I I just think it's going to be great football. I think every possession is going to feel so monumental and and important to this game, pivotal. So 27-24, so uh, not as as explosive as – like an Oregon-Washington State matchup? You see the, the defense right. making some plays? It, it's just because I, I don't expect much from the run game. Like I said, I, I think Keaton carries the load here. But we've seen this USC offense also not finish drives before. So it's possible that you know they could be moving down the field and, and not fully capitalize. Uh, maybe it's a turnover. Yeah. Maybe it's something. Yeah, this is an inexact science. Yeah, you know, it's not like I've been sitting here in a, in a lab with a big chalkboard, you know, doing all the equations, and it's just kind of a gut feel. I do think Keaton's going to have a big game. I think it's going to be close. I think it's right in that score range. I, I just don't see this one being being in the thirties for both teams. Yeah, it'd be fun if this turns into a shootout. Obviously, because we haven't really seen that from Justin Herbert. And you talk about this game's going to be on the national stage. If he's if if it gets into kind of SC's rolling on offense and it forces Oregon's hand to maybe open it up a little bit, this could be a this could be an entertaining one. Gonna be gonna be fun for sure. It's gonna be fun regardless. I've been looking forward to this for weeks. I know a lot of fans have. I'm just glad that it still has the meaning and significance that we hoped it would with USC taking care of business the last two weeks. And if they win this game, I'll be really interested to see to gauge the excitement level of the fan base who. Uh, <laughs> it's going to really test them because so many of these fans more than anything just want a coaching change and have kind of felt that it was inevitable. You know, I've kind of felt that way too, just with the new AD coming in, but are they going to get fired up and excited for a PAC 12 South run and a potential PAC 12 championship game? We'll see. But first we got to get through Saturday and see what happens there. Max, great podcast as always. Love doing this. Love the uh, the late week pod, especially with the analysis and the hot take segment. Always fun. Good stuff. Great stuff. It was fun. Let's uh, let's get a win on Saturday.